talk to you about this word that's kind of been on my heart. I wouldn't say haunting me because it's not haunting me, but, but it definitely is at the forefront of my mind a lot these days. And that word is change. Change. Right? There's this awesome movie out there, and part of it goes, uh, the characters are talking, and, and, and they're kind of scared, and, and, and then one of the characters goes, but change is good, donkey. I don't know if you know what movie that is. Shrek, all right, there we go. 500 points to you. Uh, but Shrek, and, and he goes, change is good, donkey. And every once in a while, whenever I'm resisting change, or whenever I'm in a mode or a season of change, or, or I know that something in my life is shifting, I always remind myself that change is good, donkey. Change is an okay thing. It's okay to change. It's okay to grow. And sometimes I feel like we need to give ourselves permission to change. Because I don't know about you, but life is too short to always be stuck up in the same things and the same attitudes and, and the same way of seeing things. And, and I don't know about you, but I want to be in a, in a mode of growth. But I also know that if we are going to grow, we need to what? Come on, somebody. We need to change. There you go. You're with me. And so today's title, it's probably up behind me, is This Changes Everything. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor Ryan, that's a pretty, uh, you know, uh, picture of the butterflies, and it's not so much representative of you, Pastor Ryan. There's some pinks in there, and it's very pastel-y looking, and, and, and I chose this because the butterflies. See, my son loves butterflies. He loves it. We started off with the hungry caterpillar, and every time we get to the page where the caterpillar turns in to the butterfly, he grabs the book, and he flaps it like it's the wings. He flaps it. And, and, and so, Esther, you're not the only one learning from Levi. He's a great teacher. But he flaps the wings. And we've seen butterflies outside, and every time he sees a butterfly, he goes, ah! And he, and he goes like this to simplify the butterfly. But here's what I love about the butterfly. It is a great symbol. It is a great picture of what change looks like. Because in order for that caterpillar to get to the place of being a beautiful butterfly, they got to go through some things. Come on. And, and those things aren't always enjoyable. I mean, they're in that cocoon. It's tight. Things are happening. Things are changing. And they emerge as big, beautiful butterfly. But during that season, things are happening and shifting and moving and growing. and Wings are developing. And it's not always a comfortable situation. But the end result is so worth it. I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I liked caterpillars. Anybody else go around collecting caterpillars in jars and feed them and all that kind of stuff, right? That was pretty cool. But you know what's even cooler? It's butterflies. They're way more beautiful to look at. They're not as creepy crawly. If you let a butterfly in the house let go, everyone's like, oh, it's so pretty. But if you have 50 caterpillars that escape your jar, mommy's not happy. Take it from experience. <laughs> right? She ain't happy going around the house collecting all the caterpillars that somehow got out. But it symbolizes change. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Change is defined as this. It's the act or the instance of making or becoming different. So you're in one state, and if change happens, something becomes different about you or the thing that you are in the process of changing. Another definition says this. It says it's to replace something with something else, especially of the same kind that is newer or better substitute one thing for another. I don't know if you caught that, but you are to especially something of the same kind that is newer or better. And so you replace the old with something that is new or something that is better. 
right? And, and so maybe you're in a season where you're getting a new car. There you go, getting a new car. You're changing in something that is a little bit on the old side or maybe a lot on the old side, depending how long you keep your cars, and you're trading it in. You're still getting a vehicle that gets you from point A to point B, but it's a little bit better. Maybe the fuel economy is a little bit better. Maybe there's some more gadgets and some gadgets because how many people know it's not just about driving now, it's about driving in style. You got it. The more buttons, the better, right? I get into Pastor Mike's vehicle sometimes, and I feel like I'm Top Gun mode, like, check, check, commander, we are ready for takeoff here, right? Mine, it's like, get in the door, like, that's it. Simple, right? But I like those buttons. They make me feel good. They make me feel special. Make me feel like I'm in control, right? And so we're trading something that is old for something that is newer, but not just newer. Real definition of change is something that is better. Come on, everybody say that with me. Something that is better. And today, I feel like there's an exchange that's going to happen between you and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's taking something inside of you that might be old. Maybe it's a little bit broken. Maybe it's a little bit tarnished. Maybe it's a little bit worn down. And he's trading it for something that is new. And he's trading it for something that is better. And his ways are way higher than our ways. And his ways are so much better than our ways. And his wisdom is so much grander than anything we could ever muster up on our own strength. And today, I don't know about you, but I'm looking for an exchange. You see, every time I get into the presence of the Lord, I'm seeking an exchange. Lord, I'm giving you all of me. And in return, Lord, I'm asking for all of you. Lord, less of me and more of you is the prayer of my heart each and every day, Lord. Lord, today is a new opportunity. It's new new grace, new mercy, new strength, new power. Lord, today's a, a, a wonderful opportunity to start afresh. Lord, today's an opportunity to forget about yesterday. Come on. Some people need to forget about yesterday. Some people need to forget about last week. Some people need to forget about 10 years ago. Come on. And they got to realize that you have an opportunity for something new today. And, and, and so I don't know about you, but I'm embracing change, and, 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 and maybe it's because I'm getting older, and maybe because things are changing, and, 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 and maybe when you hit 40, you, you, you start getting a little uh, you know, perturbed by things that you've been okay with because you just realize you're at the age where I, I don't have to care so much anymore. Like, I, I'm full dad mode. I've embraced it. Like, white shoes with socks up to here, with the shorts and a shirt from the 1920s. I mean, I'm all about it. I'm just, I'm getting to the place where all I want is Jesus. All I want is Jesus and what he wants for me. But the secret is, is I've got to be willing to change. I've got to be willing to have an exchange happen between me and my Lord. And so every time we get together, I say, Lord, today I want a moment. Lord, I want an exchange to take place. Lord, I, I want something better. And I don't know about you, but I, 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 I don't have a whole lot to complain about. I'm not here telling you, oh, woe is me. Like, we're blessed, we're highly favored, we're children of God, we're forgiven, redeemed, on our way to heaven. Uh, you know, the Lord knows us by name and loves us. How, like, come on, how much better does it get than that? But I know with him there's always more. And so I don't think it's selfish saying, Lord, just a little bit more today. Just a little bit more of you today, Lord. I just, I want to get me out of the way so I can get more of you. And I want that to happen through growth and change. And so the title of my message is that this changes everything. It changes everything. There's a scripture. This is the scripture I wanted to talk to you about. It's found in Galatians 2, verse 20. And it says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live 
but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body. How do I do it? By trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is the scripture that I've been meditating and thinking on. And, and as much as I want to just kind of move on and move past somehow, some way, Holy Spirit just keeps dragging me back to this scripture because there's something so awesome about what is being declared here. And that is the fact that we have died. If we are followers of Jesus, we have died to our selfish ambitions. We have died to our selfish ways. We have died to those attitudes and those concerns and those cares that continuously try to drag us down to be something that we were never intended to be. And so when we realize this, we realize that we have been crucified. The old is gone. This is exactly what change is all about. The old is gone and the new has come. It's no longer I who live, right? This is a big one to, to understand. It's no longer me. It's no longer my ways, my words, my feelings, this, that, or whatever. But here's the thing is that the entire world system is marketed and geared towards making us selfish, you make sure you get yours. You climb over whoever you need to climb over to get what you want in this life, right? You steal, you cheat, you do whatever you do, but you do it all in the name of moving yourself up the ladder. And here's the problem with that is so many times we're climbing that ladder to get to the top only to realize that we're on the wrong ladder, that we've been chasing something that doesn't exist, that doesn't fulfill, that doesn't change, that doesn't save, that doesn't heal. Does it give you joy for just one moment? I wouldn't say joy. I would say maybe there's, a, there's, there's like a feeling of adulation of like, well done, Brian, you did a good job. You climbed that ladder. You've left a, 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 a field of destruction behind you, but you got there. Way to go. You've burnt every relationship, and, and anybody who has ever cared you, you put them aside. Way to go, Brian. You did it. You got up here. Now what? And the problem with this is that the world keeps feeding you, and here's the thing that I've learned, is enough is never enough. It's never enough. That's the world system. It always wants more. How much more? Just a little bit more. And when you get that little bit more, how much more? Just a little bit more. And so here we are stuck in a rat race, always trying to please the flesh, always trying to please what's happening inside here, but we fail to realize that it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who is now living inside of me, dwelling inside of me. And what we got to get good at is allowing him to flow through us. I know that he flows to me. I know that he's flowing around me. I was sensing his spirit from the first note that Matthew played this morning for time of prayer. I sense it. I knew it. But Pastor Adam even said it. He's like, it's all good. Let him flow to us. Let him flow through us. But Lord, get inside of us and come out of us today. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life that I want to live. I want to live a kind of life where I get myself out of the picture and I begin to allow the Lord to work through me. That means I'm at his disposal 24-7, right? That means, Esther, Christ be magnified. In whatever season, in whatever circumstance, whatever's going on, Christ be magnified. That's the kind of life that is willing to change. And so when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you trust him, don't you, right? You trust him. You trust him with your life. You trust him with your salvation. It's undeniable that change has happened. It doesn't mean that you become perfect. I, I don't want to pop your bubble, but once you get saved, it doesn't mean on the outside that, that, that everything becomes perfect. Now, you're, Jesus sees you perfectly, right? But you're still in a process of change, right? Come on. You're still in a process of growth. You're still in a process. I don't know. Anybody, just, just let's, let's entertain me this morning. 
a show of hands, when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, was there noticeable differences right off the bat? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So, so, so a lot of you experienced that. I don't know about you, but when I got saved instantly, I, I got redeemed uh, from, from addictions of all sorts right away, instantly gone, right? Uh, all of a sudden, my attitude changed right away. Come on. That was a big one. I was 16 when I got saved, so you understand. Anybody know a 16-year-old? I was full of vim, vinegar, and sass. I knew it all. Nobody could tell me any differently, and that was that. And I got saved. My attitude changed. It wasn't about me anymore. I realized that Christ was living in me and through me. And so we get to this place where you're, you don't you become perfect, but you know that you're in the process of change. And you know what the amazing thing is? I'm going on now 24 years serving the Lord, and still every day I'm encountering the opportunity to change. Every day. It doesn't just happen once and one and done. It, it happens every day. Every day that I come before the Lord and I say, Lord, have your way today. All of a sudden something begins to change. Something begins to grow inside of me. I, I'm growing in my faith. I'm, I'm growing in my compassion. I'm growing in my kindness. My generosity is being expanded. I'm, I'm, I'm being stretched. I'm being stretched and pulled in different directions by the Lord. And, and it's exciting and it's amazing because who I was yesterday is not who I am today. But the great hope that I have is that who I'm going to be tomorrow is going to be a little bit different than today. And who I'm going to be in a week, it's going to be more exciting than it was last week, right? And that gives me hope for the future. It gives me confidence right now. And it also gives me the ability to forget my past because my past is past, right? It's gone. It's done away with. Nothing I can do about it now. So I can trust Jesus or I can wallow in it. I don't know about you, but trusting Jesus has always worked out better for me. All right, come on. And so change is this funny thing. Right? It, it's something that we often uh, want to uh, resist. Right? Just like the donkey. He didn't want to change. But a good friend came along, maybe even a prophet, and said, change is good, donkey. You don't need to be afraid of change. Change is okay thing. And here's what I've noticed, is I want to resist change because I am a creature of comfort. Right? I have my routine, I know what I'm doing, I know what I like, I know what I don't like, I stay away from the things I don't like, I try to engage in the things I do like, right? But when a change comes, all of a sudden your routine is off-kiltered, right? We, we went through, uh, they call this, uh, you learn all this stuff when you have kids, all these fancy words, I wish they taught you this in school. Um, but you, something happens, it's called a sleep regression. Yeah, all the moms right now are like, oh, don't go there. Don't even go there. We will meet in the coffee shop and we will talk about our regressions, right? And, and, and so here's the thing. All of a sudden, your kid is sleeping 12 hours, this time to this time, no problem, whatever. And then for one reason or the other, they just decide, nope. Nope. You got too comfort, mommy and daddy. You're too comfortable. I'm going to switch it up for you. And they decide to get up at 5.30, 4.30. They don't want to go to bed. They're fighting it. But you know they're tired. The reason they're crying is because they're tired, right? And all of a sudden, change happens, and it sets off your routine, and, and you got to deal with this, right? And, 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 and hopefully, prayerfully, it comes back around, and they get back into the sleeping mode, and, and it's almost like a badge of honor. Like, oh, yeah, we went through the regression. I love, I love listening to mommy's talk. Oh, yeah, we went through the regression, but came out of it in two weeks, and all the other moms like, you know, like, turn into a different animal, right? Like, whoo! I like it because all the moms right now are, are, are smiling and all the dads are putting their heads down. Here we go. But change is good. It happens. And I don't know why we want to resist it because I don't know about you, but once you get into it, 
Once you begin the process of change, what happens? You begin to feel better. You begin to feel good. Like you're making progress. Maybe you're working on yourself. Maybe you're working on your leadership skills. Maybe, maybe physically you, you begin to exercise. Like this is the, one of the hardest things. You get into it and you're like, ah, oh, oh, this sucks. And then just, just imagine me shouting at you while you're working out. Change is good, donkey. Change is good, right? It's good that, that, that we, but, but here's the thing. That's all good kind of change, but really what we want to talk about, we want to talk about spiritual change. We want to talk about the change that happens from the inside and then comes out, right? We want to talk about that kind of change. And so, yeah, we're, 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 we're comfortable. We're, we're creatures of comfort. And, and so, yeah, it makes sense that we would want to resist change. But here's the thing that I've learned, and you can take this to the bank. When God asks us to change, it's always for the better. It's not always pleasant, and it's not always comfortable, but it's always better. It always works out for your favor. When he begins to speak to you, and maybe he's asking you just to change one little thing in your life, the reason is because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows where you're going. He sees the big picture. And sometimes we get caught up because we don't see the big picture. We just see the now. We see what's in front of us. We don't have the capacity to see much further than that. And so when the Lord begins to speak to you and asking you to start maybe setting some habits in place or maybe get rid of some habits, what he's doing is he's setting you up. He sets you up because he knows where you need to be. He knows where you've got to be in 10 years, in 5 years, in 3 months. He knows where you're going. He understands your destiny. He's the one that's created it for you. And in order for you to get there, in order for you to have the capacity to handle what's going to be there, he's asking you to make some slight changes. And I talk to a lot of the, the young students who graduated and, and the ones who are kind of moving on. And I, one of the things I always tell them, I said, listen to me right now. The habits that you put in place right now will determine a big chunk of your successes or your failures in life. See, you just think because you're young, you have all the time in the world. But if you start putting the right habits in place right now, all of a sudden, you won't have to worry about if this arises or that arises because you know that this is what the Lord has commanded you to do. And if he's commanded you to do it, he's going to see you through it. And so it's important that we set in motion the right kind of habits, the right kind of lifestyle that is conducive to the call upon our life. Some of you have been called to preach. I know this. You've been called to preach. And you're just waiting for someone to hand you the microphone. In the meantime... Are you preaching to yourself? Before I preach in front of anybody, I preach to myself in the mirror almost every day. Sometimes I'd get saved. Sometimes I'd get healed. I'd get delivered. I'd preach to myself. I'd preach as if I was standing in front of 5,000 people, but it was only me. I would start writing sermons out. I would dive into how to write a sermon, how, how, how to study your word properly. Why? Because I knew of the preparation. I knew the calling, and I thought, I'm not going to wait till I get there to start figuring this thing out. I want to start figuring this out beforehand. And then when the mic was finally handed to me, I was in a position where I felt ready. I was ready to go. I didn't hesitate. I, yeah, okay, good. Awesome, right? And we continue to prepare ourselves, right? So when Jesus, when I received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, big changes happened. So much so that people around me noticed. I didn't even have to tell people. Something about you is different. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what it is. It's Jesus. 
I mean, I, I did not hesitate. I Listen, windows open, doors open. Some people recognize, what is it about you that has changed? It's only Jesus. And I would just lay it on thick, and he can change you, and he has a plan for you. He has a purpose, and I just went into it. Things change. I learned to embrace seasons of change, and although often they're accompanied by the challenges, I know that if I keep my eyes on Jesus, everything is going to be all right. You said that today, Esther. If you just keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus. And so, yes, this message is entitled, This Changes Everything. And although this phrase can be used in many instances, for instance, like when you find out a new life hack, does anybody like life hacks? There's two things that will captivate my attention if I'm scrolling on the internet. That is anything to do with cooking and anything to do with life hacks. I have a life hack I want to show you. This here is a banana. One of the first videos I ever saw was how to open a banana properly. Were you ever like me and struggling? You try to open it here and you're struggling and by the time you get it open, half of your banana is now mush. You don't know what to do with it. It's all over you. I watched this video of this lady saying, if you've been eating bananas, you've been opening it up wrong your whole life. I was in. I bought in. I was like, okay, here we go. What are we going to do here? She's like, if you just watch the chimpanzees, she flips it upside down. She pinches it. She pulls it apart. Just like that. I watched that video. I paused it because I thought to myself, why did nobody ever tell me this? And I thought to myself, this changes everything. This is not the only life hack that I have applied in my life, but every time I find something that makes my life easier, my comment is always the same. This changes everything. I'm such a sucker for a good life hack, right? And as I was reading the Bible, I began to read scriptures like the one I read you at first, and you know what I say to myself? This changes everything. Nothing will ever be the same because I found this scripture that shows me the love, the mercy, the grace, the compassion of Jesus. And now this changes everything. Are you hungry? Do you want a banana? You can eat it right now. Don't, everyone's going to watch you, but don't worry about it. It's blessed. You should see his face right now. He's like, I got a banana in church. All my brothers and sisters are going to be so jealous. And so though this statement applies to a lot of different applications, life hacks, this, that, whatever, this changes everything really is only 100% true about the grace of Jesus. We have been talking about the grace of Jesus for the last few weeks, and I don't know about you, but my, I, I, spiritually I feel like I've been topsy-turvy, turn, turned upside down in a good way. And that's what I love about grace is even though we're pastors, we preach, every time I hear a message on grace, I go, oh, there's more. I haven't quite arrived. There is more grace. I want this in my life. I want to be able to change. And this is what we're talking about today is that the grace of God changes everything. So what changes? Let's jump into this. If you're taking notes, I've got three points today, three points next week for a total of six points. Your math is awesome. Way to go. But number one, if you're taking notes, and I highly encourage you to do so, is this. 
When you get into the grace of God, he changes your identity. He changes your identity. This is a big one for a lot of people. And, and this is where I find the enemy likes to come in and try to just kerfuffle everything, just mess us up a little bit. And that's why there's always a fight for our identity. Who are we? Who do we belong to? What's going on? Why am I here? These are all questions that we ask ourselves. These are all questions that we've probably asked ourselves recently. And so here's the truth of the matter is that he changes your identity. Have you ever used who you are as an excuse? You ever, you ever use who you are as an excuse? Let me, let me, let me clarify what I mean by that. You might, you might be wondering what I mean by that. So let me put it this way. Someone asks you to do something and your response is this. I can't. I'm too Fill in the blank. You're too important? Yeah. I'm too important to clean the toilets, Pastor Brian. Okay. Right? What else? Other things. Come on, give it to me. I'm too busy. That's a good one. I'm too what? I'm too tired. That's a, that's a good one. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm too tired. I'm too, I'm too old. Right? I'm at the point where I can almost start using that one and get away with it. Or, flip side, I'm also at the space in life where I can go, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm too young. It's, that's above my pay grade, right? But you use who you are as an excuse for why you can't do what has been asked of you to do. Uh, I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm too confused. I, I'm not educated enough. These are all things that go on in our minds when we're trying to build up reasons why we don't want to do what we've been asked to do right? So, so what might your blank space be? Because only you know what your blank space is. You, you might not have shouted that one out because you don't want to identify yourself, but you probably thought about it. I'm too whatever it is. And here's the thing. If that's where we're at right now, then we've got to understand that that's not what Jesus thinks about us. Jesus doesn't think that we're too old. He doesn't think that we're too young. He doesn't give a rip whether we're educated or not educated, although I think it's better to be educated than not educated. But at the end of the day, in the kingdom of God, when he asks you to do something, he's not looking at your resume and going, oh, yeah, okay, Andre, yep, okay, he's qualified here. That's a good point. Oh, yeah, he's too, he's too good looking. It's just, it's not, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. He's just too good, right? He doesn't look at it that way. He's, he's not looking at who we try to identify ourselves as. He's looking at it through the lens of what he's called you, Right? And, and maybe what we've got to do is begin to flip the script a little bit. So what might your blank space be? Maybe, maybe it's shy. I'm too shy. I, I could never do that. I don't know if you believe this or not. I've said this publicly, but, but there was a time in my life where we had to do public speeches in front of our classroom. That would be about 23, 24 students. And, and I'd be sick for the entire two weeks before the assignment. I couldn't get up in front of people and speak, and now you can't sit me down. <laughs> Right? There was a time where maybe I was too shy, right? Or what about this? I'm too scared. I mean, I'm too sad or I'm too anxious or I'm too worried. What, what, what is it that is holding you back from understanding what God has spoken to you? It's so easy in life to be held back by the things that we think we are, and I say that very loosely, but once you're a Christian, those things don't exist anymore. You have to understand that when you receive Jesus, we read that scripture, I have been crucified with Christ. When, 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 when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, he switches your whole identity. It's all, all the stuff that you've come to the cross with, when you accept what he's done for you, all of that is done away with. 
It's not only forgiven, but it's forgotten about. But we have this terrible habit of trying to bring it back up when we think it'll work for us. When, so when people say, like, oh, I can't do that, I'm too shy, it's like, no, I don't, that doesn't cut it for me. It doesn't. You might be a little shy, we can work through that, right? Anybody can do what we do, right? You just got to understand that when you start believing who God says you are, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, right? Nothing is impossible to those who what? Believe. And so when we change fear for faith, we get into a different zone and we get into a different place, spiritually speaking, but also mentally speaking, where we begin to trade who we thought we were for who Jesus says we are. And there's often this space of contention and, and, and tension where we, we understand that God says this about us, but we're not quite experiencing yet, but don't shun the process. Just keep walking towards it, and as you walk towards it, all of a sudden you'll start becoming it. And here's what I found is that the more that I get around Jesus, the less of an identity issue I have. But the further I step away from him, I'm confused. I no longer know who I am. I doubt everything about me. I doubt everything about my past, my future, my present. When he's not in the picture, it is so hard to get a clear understanding of who I am. Why? Because I'm believing who everybody else says about me. You ever bump into someone from your past and they go, oh, I remember you. This is never going anywhere good. When people say, I remember you, you bump into an old neighbor. You know, Tom and I grew up on the same street. We talk about some of our neighbors, right? And, 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 and it wasn't just a few years ago that I bumped into one of my old neighbors, and they go, I remember you. And before they said anything else, I said, I want you to know, Jesus has changed me, and I no longer do the things that you're about to describe to me. So if you feel good about telling me what I used to do and who I used to be, go ahead, but I want you to know it's no longer me. And they didn't know what to say, right? I remember you. You used to sneak into my backyard and steal my apples and my carrots. And listen, I've been redeemed. I grow my own apples and carrots now. Don't worry about it. In fact, I'll drop some off when they come up, right? But here's the thing. People want to tell you who you are. You know why? Because they don't know who they are. And it's easier to project on someone else what's going on inside of them than learning how to deal with it themselves, so I don't know about you, but I resist and I reject anytime someone tries to tell me who I am other than trusted leaders, pastors, people that I, I trust to speak into my life. And when they do tell me who I am, you know what always happens? It always lines up with the Word of God. That I'll receive any day. But I reject this notion that I'm going to be who the world tells me I am. I, I won't be labeled that way, my friends. We've come too far. We've worked too hard just to settle into being what others expect us to be. In fact, it works the complete opposite of me. I, I, I'm like a child that never grew up. If, if, you, if you tell me that I am this, I'm going to do everything in my power to show you that I am not. Right? It's that rebellion that's still a little bit inside of me, but it, it's just been transferred in a good way. It's been transferred in a good way. So our identity completely changes in Christ. Look at this scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17 from the Amplified. You know this probably pretty well if you've been around the church for a while. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior. 
He is a new creature, okay? So you are a new creature. Look at this, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, which are the previous moral and spiritual condition, have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. And with a new life comes a new identity. And so look at that blank space again. I can't because I'm too. Whatever it is that you filled that in with. Stop filling it in with who you were. A lot of times we can't get over who we used to be. But you think you are or even who society tries to tell you who you are. Instead, learn to change the narrative to Jesus is and because Jesus is, I am also. And when you start thinking that way, all of a sudden your words start lining up. All of a sudden your actions start lining up. All of a sudden your destiny starts lining up because you're no longer confessing who you were or what you used to be or even what's happening right now. But you're beginning to speak faith over your own life. You are now speaking the language of heaven, which is faith. And because Jesus is, so am I. So when you feel depressed, remember that Jesus is joy. When you feel scared, remember that Jesus is bold, bold as a lion. You, I don't know about you, but every video I've ever watched, I never see the lions get worried about anything. They don't call him the king of the jungle for no reason, right? They're not stressed. They're not worried, right? No one's trying to convince them that they're just a little kitty cat, right? No, you're as bold as a lion. When you feel unloved, rem remember that Jesus is love. Remember who Jesus is and that he lives in you at this very moment. And all of a sudden, things become different in your life. Listen to this statement. Your diagnosis is not your identity. Sometimes we get diagnosed with different things, this, that, or whatever, and it's so easy for us just to attach our identity to it. Your diagnosis is not who you are. It's something that's happening around you or to you, but it is not who you are. It doesn't line up with the will or the way of God. Forget about it. Just begin to trust him and who he says you are. Jesus lives in you. You're no longer yourself, right? So here it is. You are his, and you are what he says about you. And for the sake of time, listen to this. What does he say about you? It says in Colossians 3 that you are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. Right? It's one thing to be loved, but to be dearly loved, that's like, an, that's like the extra step. That's like the bonus. That's like, you, that's like you buy a new car and they give you oil changes for life. It's the extra little bit in there. Dearly loved. You are dearly loved. You are God's special possession. Special possession. And again, I'm going to re reference Levi on this because I learned so much from him. He's got this doll that we got for him, a doll, a, a puppy, or what is it, stuffy. He's got a stuffy. He's got lots of stuffies. He's got stuffies everywhere, man. I got bags of stuffies. It's crazy. Everybody buys him stuffies, right? And so he's got stuffies, but there's one stuffy that is special to him beyond all the others. He loves them all, 
but there's one that, that finds special favor in his eyes, and that's his, his chase. We got this made when we were in Florida on vacation, and he brings chase around everywhere with him. He tucks him in. He feeds him food at dinner. Like, like it's, it's special. And if we leave without chase, game over. If we can't find Chase, you better believe we drop whatever we are doing to find Chase because it's his special possession. In the same way, you are God's special possession. It means he don't leave without you. It means he doesn't forget about you. You are special to him. You are his special possession. Man, think about that. And all the things that the Lord in heaven could be doing, he's thinking about you because you're special. What else does it say? It says we're victorious in Romans 8. We're victorious. Come on. We're victorious no matter what. We always come out on top. We're always more uh, of a conqueror. We, we, we come up above and beyond. Why? Not because of us, because of him. And that's what he does. Come on. Right? He takes it, and then he takes it even a step further. You're forgiven. I don't know who needs to hear this, but you are forgiven. You're forgiven. We've all made terrible mistakes. We've all come with a past. But guess what? You're forgiven. Your slate has been wiped clean. There's a scripture in Isaiah that says he will make you as white as snow. We live in Canada, so we understand this reference very well. You ever walk outside after a big snowfall, but it's that glistening snow? You walk outside, you open the door, what do you do? You're like, your eyes are adjusting, right? Your nostrils are frozen, right? This is what it is. God says, listen, all your sins are like crimson, which is the deepest, darkest stain, unremovable. He says, though your sins are like crimson, I will make you as white as snow. You are so crystal clear clean in the presence of God. Because you're forgiven. It's been wiped out. Forget about it. You're valuable. And you are his beloved child. Wow. And one of my favorites, I don't know, he needs to hear this today. Ephesians 2 talks about this. You're his masterpiece. Masterpiece. You are the peace above all other pieces. You are exactly what he was moving towards. When he thinks of just a special, awesome, great creation, he thinks of you because you are his masterpiece. I love this because I, 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 I enjoy all different fields out there. I, I enjoy all different hobbies and stuff and, 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 and things I don't even really care about, but I love when people are passionate about things. I just love passion in general, and, and I remember... I was at an art gallery one time, and they are talking about this artist. I don't even know who it was. I'd never seen this before, and, and, and I know it was way over my budget for a piece of art. So I'm like, I could just go to Ikea and get a big thing for $5.99, but this one is $5 million. I don't know what's going on here, what's so different. But I remember them speaking, and they said everything that they had done had led up to this one particular piece, and they called it his masterpiece. Everything that he had learned when it came to painting, everything that he had learned coming to art was all summed up in this one beautiful painting. And it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And I thought to myself, man, the culmination of everything that God has done, think about it. He created this entire universe by his words. I mean, everything that he's created, he looks at you and he goes, this is better than everything. Wow. Imagine if we started carrying that sentiment about ourselves, that if we started recognizing that we are God's masterpiece, that we, we were created with a purpose and a reason, wow, what would happen, right? Look at this. Number two, he changes your perspective. 
Not only does he change your identity, but he changes your perspective. What is a perspective? It's how you see circumstances and others. It's defined as a particular attitude toward uh, or way of regarding something. It's a point of view. Your perspective is how you see things, how you frame things in your mind. It, it means that as Christians, God opens our eyes and gives us a new perspective on life, on who we are, on our relationships, on our goals, on our dreams, our purpose, our view of culture, our understanding of the universe, and it all begins to change when we receive Christ as our Lord. Now, I want to be clear that this doesn't just kind of happen magically. It's not a passive perspective shift. It doesn't just always happen overnight, although it can. We got to understand that our perspective shift is an active process in which we are required to participate. We are required to participate. Participation is needed if we're going to allow him to change our perspective. So what do we have to do? Colossians 3 says this, if then you were raised in Christ, seek those things which are what? Are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, there it is, the theme again, and your life is hidden in Christ in God. And similarly, in Romans 12, you should know this one if you hung around here for a while. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By what? By changing the way you think. Your perspective is based out of and born out of the way that you think. So if your thinking is right, then chances are your perspective is going to be right. But if your thinking is off, then guess what? Your view of things is going to be a little bit off. And I had to deal with this because in my life, I felt that when I was growing up, I was jaded a little bit by teachers and coaches and this and that. I had teachers tell me they hated me, that I wouldn't do anything, yada, yada, yada. I don't know, like, you know, what happened to them, but they decided to take it out on little children, and it formed the way I thought about authorities. And all of a sudden, I began to realize, I need to deal with this because this is unhealthy. If every time a pastor or a leader speaks to me, I don't receive it because I'm cautious, because I'm scared, because other teachers have, have hurt me or spoke wrongly of me, this is wrong. And I have to change this. And I had to come to a real uh, a why in the road when it came to my perspective. And I had to begin to trust Jesus. I had to become to trust, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I, I trust the people that you've put in my life. I trust them to speak over my life. I trust that they, they have my best, best intentions at heart, Lord. And if not, I also pray that you protect me. Lord, that you silence the critics and you raise up the prophets that you want over in my life. And so here we are. In both verses, here I want you to see transformation in the mind is the key. It has to happen up here, but how does that happen? The word for mind used in these verses in the original language essentially means this, and this is a little bit above my pay grade, so pay attention here. The faculties of perceiving and understanding and those of feeling, judging, and determining. So how you reason, how you think is what the Bible's talking about when it talks about changing your mind. This is exactly what he's trying. He's trying to bring into us a new way of seeing things, a new way of doing things. He's trying to bring into us a better way. He's trying to make the exchange. So we got to learn how to trust him. So how do we set our minds on things above? Simply this. There's no big secret. 
I'm not going to give you, you know, a 10-step process. How do you change your perspective? It's simple and it's difficult all at the same time, but it requires your participation. It comes only by getting to know Jesus. It comes only from getting to know Jesus, but not only getting to know him, getting to know him through consistent, intentional study of the Bible, through prayer, obedience to his word, and community with other Christians. This is how our perspective begins to change. You see, it's all about becoming more like Jesus. That's what this is all about. And seeing the world through his perspective. And if we want to become more like Jesus, we've got to spend more time with Jesus, right? This is only, this is like, we all know this. Who you hang around with, you become like. I say things that I never thought I'd say a million years. Why? Because I spend about 30 plus hours with Adam. You know him as Pastor Adam. He influences me. Most of the time in good ways. Sometimes he dares me and challenges my manhood in bad ways. And so I do silly things around here. They need to be done, but I do them in a silly way because like, I bet you can't do that, but I bet you I can. Right? But he challenges me. And who I hang around with, I become like. And so it's only natural that if we begin to set time aside to hang out with Jesus to study his word, to spend time with him through prayer and worship. If we bump shoulders with Jesus, you know what happens? Come on, somebody. We become like Jesus. It's only natural because who you hang around with will mark you for life. That's why I tell people all the time, who are you hanging around with? Show me who you're hanging around with, and I'll show you what your destiny is going to look like. It's crucial. It's important. There was a season in my life where I didn't hang around with anybody because I couldn't find anybody that was going to challenge me in the right way. But I kept praying, Lord, send me a friend. Send me a friend. And he has. And it's amazing, right? Colossians 1 says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have, look at this, great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That scripture, you ought to highlight it, mark it, read it, study it, understand it, apply it in your life because this changes everything. He changes our perspective. And lastly, four minutes, he changes our motives. Not only does he change our identity, he changes our perspective, but then he changes our motives. Motive is the reason behind why we do something. And here's the crazy thing about motives. Motives aren't seen by others because motives originate in the heart. I see you doing things, but what I don't know is why you do things because it originates in the heart. The heart is representative of the core of who we are, of our inner being, as the Bible talks about. The why behind what you do comes from the heart and not the mind. Only God is fully aware of the motives behind the things we do, the words we say and the thoughts that we think. Look at this scripture, beautiful one in 1 Samuel. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. 
For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the hearts. Wow. Listen to this. Christ's actions were motivated by love. What he did for us, he did because of love. And every time Jesus healed someone or shared a spiritual truth, he was revealing something larger than just the action itself. It was revealing the heart behind who he is. This should teach us something, and that is this. What we do matters to God just as much as why we do it. Why we do it is just as important to God if, if we do it. So let me ask you, how would you describe the motives of your heart? Are they genuine? Are they pure? Are they God-honoring? Or are they self-seeking? Are you trying to climb that ladder? Are they prideful? Do you want to be recognized? You, do, you, do you want to be the man, right? Do you want to be the boss? Do you, like, what, what, what is motivating you? That's the question we got to ask Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his doings. Now, why would the Lord search the motive of our hearts? Because he's a relational God. It's not about religion. It's about relation. And he is concerned about transforming every part of who we are, especially in our motives. I don't know about you, but one of the biggest things that happened to me, you go ahead, Matthew. One of the biggest things that happened to me when I got saved was that the reason I began doing things changed drastically. I was part of that rat race. I was part of the population, uh, you know, climb. I, 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 I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be big. I wanted to be known. I want, you know, I wanted everybody to know who I was, and I did things that I'm not proud of, right? But all of a sudden, when I got saved, I recognized I had a Father in heaven. And even in the same way on earth, how I always wanted to make my father proud, I did things now not because I was trying to climb a ladder, not because I wanted my name famous, but because I wanted to glorify Jesus. And all of a sudden, things began to change. And when my motives changed, I'm going to tell you something. All of a sudden, doors started opening that I could have never opened on my own. Because God will take a pure heart over talent any day. He will take a heart that is sweet that is kind, that is gentle, that is merciful, that is forgiving. And he'll equip that person. And we can have all the talent in the world. But if our motives aren't right, if our heart isn't right before the Lord, skip, pass, move on. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be skipped. I don't want to be passed up. I, I want the Lord to use me in whatever way that he sees fits. And that goes far beyond on these Sunday mornings. This, I'm talking about me as a person in real life, outside of these four walls. I want God to use me. And I don't just want him to use me in some, you know, big majestic grand, like I'm preaching in front of tents. I want him to use me at the gas station. I want him to use me on my walks. I, I, I want him to use me with my son. I, I want him to use me in my, in my friendships and in my marriage. I want him to use me wherever and whenever he sees fits. And if we just get our hearts right before him, that's the type of person that he is looking for. Don't worry if you're good enough. Don't worry about if you're too shy. Don't worry about all those things that you want to fill the blank in. Those will be filled in, naturally speaking, when you start to believe what God says about you. So the gospel message, this changes everything.
that Christ came to this earth to die for our forgiveness of sins and to join us back to the heart of the Father. And all we have to do to receive that is by faith recognize that we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And so maybe you've come today. Maybe you're here, and you come with a past, and you need freedom of what it used to be. Let me tell you this. Jesus says he'll take care of it. If you've come here today desiring a real change, it starts with him. If you've been on the run, trying your best to outrun or hide from the grace of God today, my friends, rather than fight it, lean into it. Because by his grace, you are what he says you are. And you can do what he's called you to do. And so the plans and the promises and the purposes of God are so much better and bigger than you'll ever understand. But it starts with a simple prayer. I'm going to ask each and every one of you to say this prayer. If you know that you need Jesus, maybe you've accepted him before, but maybe you've walked away. or Maybe you've never made this commitment to Jesus. I'm going to say by faith and by saying this simple prayer, we're going to open ourselves up to the plan, the purpose, and the salvation of our Father. So let's say this together. Let's say, Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my salvation. I ask you to forgive me of every sin. I repent and I'm purposing to change the way I think and live. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, help me to learn about you and to grow in this kingdom lifestyle. I declare you're my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for receiving me. Amen. And Father, we do thank you. We thank you for receiving us. We thank you, Lord, that the message of the gospel changes everything. Thank you, Lord, that you paid the price so that we can live on this earth free from the fear of death and free from sin. And Lord, I pray that even this week, as you speak to us in our times of devotion, that you would continue to remind us to get closer to Jesus, because only he can change. Lord, this week, let us be intentional on understanding that our identity comes from you. Lord, that you're changing our perspective to have the eyes and the lens of faith rather than fear, that we would see things and see people the way that you do, that we would be for people and not against them, that we would be there to lift up rather than to tear down. And Lord, thank you again for your promises when it comes to changing our motives, that you do heart surgery on us, and that the reasons why we do things is because we want to please you, because we love you, because we adore you, and because we understand that you are good and the plans and the purposes that you have for us are awesome, great, and fantastic. And so, Lord, thank you that even this week, Lord, you'll help us in these areas. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.